Welcome to episode 276 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Hi guys, welcome along to episode 276 of I Am Talk of Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? I'm sensational, Bevan, as always. Well, so where are you right now in the world? I'm in London town, amongst about a gazillion people at the airport, just uh, waiting for my next flight to board for the, the short trip across the uh, around the world. So where do you go? Do you fly where next? Uh, we've come from Lyon, and we go London to Bangkok, <laughs> oh. Bangkok to Sydney, and then Sydney to Christchurch. Oh, nice. So you're flying. Uh, British Airways. Oh, British Airways. Yeah. Still, are they still around, are they? They are still around and they're going strong. Okay, Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by? Coffeesofhawaii.com. Oh, Albert sent me through a funny email earlier on, actually. I'll have to talk to you about that in the show. Athletics.com. Um, social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme Endurance. Yep, Extreme Endurance. It's an electric buffer to help you perform better and recover better from hard training and hard racing. Okay, John, well, this week's show is going to be a little bit different because we're pretty much just going to do an epic camp wrap-up and then we've got an interview with a man called Chris. What's his last name, John? Chris Jensen. Jensen. Yep. And uh, he's a bit of a mind coach for triathletes, so we did an interview with him a couple of weeks ago, so we'll insert that in later on the show. It'll probably be a pretty short show this week because... Uh, just because. So anyway, tell us what you've been up to, John. So we had Epic Camp France, and Bevan, you should know exactly what I've been up to because I'm sure you've been following the daily blogs online and and I uh, shouldn't need to tell you anything. You should be able to tell me about all about the camp. I, I, I read a couple days. I, I wouldn't say I was religiously following it, but I did keep a bit of an insight onto it. Apparently she was pretty hot and you had some pretty hard climbing. It was very toasty. So um, <laughs> we opened up the camp uh, with, a, with a sort of a fairly short ride into Embram, which was 120 k's or so. Um, we had to drive sort of point to point because it was uh, just a little bit too far to go in one day. And then the second day, we took part in the Embram Man Triathlon, which is uh, they have the Iron Distance Race there, um, which we talked about before I left, which is for the pros, is one of the richest prizes in the sport. Uh, and then we did the Olympic Distance Race. So they, they took off at, uh, I think it was 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, and we saw... The, the last one coming out of the swim and our race started at 8.30 um, and man, I've never done an Olympic distance race like it. Uh, just the start, we it was just chaotic at the start and we just took a beating at the start of the swim but then the bike ride, you come out of the swim and it's basically about 6, 7k straight uphill, not not pansy sort of 1, 2, 3%, it was sort of straight uphill and uh, then rolling along the top of these climbs and then just a, a mean-ass descent, um, which you really, you know, you're taking your life in your hands and, and could make up a lot of time on that. And then down to the lake and uh, and a nice little 10k jaunt sort of around the the edge of the lake, um, but we had the easy course because on day three we rode over the Col d'Azard, um, which was the main climb they do in the Iron Distance Race, and I don't care what they say, we rode Al Duez later in the week, I don't care what they say, Embram Man Triathlon, if you want something challenging, that is just a ridiculously hard bike course. Really? So, so I read your report on it, but you didn't put where you got. Sorry? 
Well, I read your report, but you didn't put where you actually placed. I got absolutely smoked. I, got, <laughs> I, I actually had a very good swim relative to where my swimming is at. I, don't, I haven't seen the splits or the placings, but I was just off the back of the first main group. Uh, so I was just, you know, I, was, wasn't, I, was, I beat Stephen Lord out of transition. He's a pretty handy swimmer. Yeah. Um, so I was really pleased with my swim. Um, but I just got absolutely annihilated on the bike. Just had people coming past me the whole way, uh, and I had girls coming past me, and I was just going, this can't be right. I mean, we, 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 we were having – I mean, I was restraining my effort somewhat because it was day two of the camp, and I did not want to nuke myself, but it's not like I was going easy. Um, and I was just taking absolute pounding up the climb. And I was thinking that these people were just, just drilling the start of the bike ride, and that I would, uh, they would come back to me a little bit later on, but they didn't. Oh, yeah. um, and then, if people read my report about about when you sort of came to the top of this climb and it rolled a bit, and then you just sort of started to descend, and this guy came hammering past me, and I was convinced it was Melina, and I thought, right, game on, I better hurry up because uh, if he gets more than you know a couple of minutes off me off the bike, I'm going to be in a spot of bother, and I didn't want him beating me, and so I really started working very, very hard indeed, and then uh, halfway through the run, I figured out that it wasn't actually Melina that had just smoked me on the bike; it was miles back. But uh, so where did you uh, get? Do you know where you got? I think I was in the. Around 30th or something wow. like that. You've, take, you've taken it a was, step back, uh, mate. I have indeed. It was, uh, it was a pretty strong field, but, but still, uh, I think I got beaten by four girls, uh, so I wasn't too thrilled about that. But it was an awesome experience for all the guys racing. Um, we, were, you know, we weren't quite sure how it was going to pan out and people were going to enjoy it, but the guys absolutely loved it. And, uh, yeah, there's a good bit of competition between all the Epic campers and... Uh, and then the next day we sort of rolled out of Embram and that was really the start of the camp proper because we went over two gigantic coals. We went over the Col de Vars um, and then the Col de Zard, which is one of the real iconic um, Tour de France climbs. Just uh, very, very spectacular climbing and very, very hard. And then we rolled into a town called Briançon. Um, day after that we um, rode up over the Col de Loteray and then did Alpe d'Huez. And just as we were about to start the, the climb of uh, Alpe d'Huez, there was a, a TV crew filming there, and we, we couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And when we got to the top, um, one of the guys figured out it was actually Mark Webber, the, the Formula One yeah. um, yep. driver who was uh, up there as well. And apparently he was, he was pretty handy on the bike. Uh, I got up there in just under an hour, and some of our guys estimated that he probably would have done about an hour, four, hour, five. So wow. it's clearly not too shabby on the bike. Those four uh, one guys are pretty sharp because if you look at Jensen Button, he like he does like a two-hour Olympic. So. I, I know they must they must all be pretty fit. Yeah, but the Alpe d'Huez climb was uh, it was it was pretty special. It wasn't as hard as as a lot of the other climbs we did, but um, very just awesome. Just going switchback after switchback after switchback. And there was just thousands of people on the climb. It was really? just so many people biking up there. It was it was really really cool. Uh, what um, what was happening with the jerseys? Yeah, Stephen Stephen Lord pretty much dominated the jerseys. One thing with this camp, you know, the listeners have heard a lot about you know the the, the tacking on and the tactical tacking on and and doing all that sort of stuff to to try to move yourself up the points table. The big difference with this camp is we just literally did not have time to hardly do any tacking on at all. Uh-huh. Um, so Stephen Lord basically won the camp off 
doing a two uh, doing two two hour runs um, and a six k swim, and the rest was all just camp minimums because we you know we, we really did not have time to tack on. There was only a couple of opportunities he took them and uh, and he walked away with the yellow jersey because other people weren't weren't prepared to go out there and do two hour runs. Was he um was it close or did he pretty much have it early on? Uh, well, not really. No, he 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 did a two hour run on. Uh, Oh, it must have been I can't remember day day two or three or something like that, and um, and then he got the lead, and then just sort of yeah, it was it was pretty comfortable. Nobody was really prepared to go after it in a big way, and and also we just didn't have time. The King of the Mountains was very interesting because we had uh, Klaus Bjorling, which we all expected just completely dominate, um, but we had Zach Pullman, who was a bit of a dark horse. He came in and. Uh, and really, really challenged Klaus. Beat him a number of times on the, oh, really? the early climbs. Um, beat him up the the Col d'Azard. Beat him up Alpe d'Huez, and, and very, very close finishes. Um, and uh, he also was first in the triathlon. Uh, was second in the running race. So he he was a re- he really pushed it. He faded just a little bit on the last couple of days, and Klaus took it. Oh, but really? um, put up a huge, huge fight and really made Klaus earn it. So. Um, yeah, so then we went from Brownstone, we moved up to Annecy, uh, came over the Col de Galibier, which was where uh, Andy Schleck nearly won the Tour de France this year, another mythical climb up there, and then rolled down into Annecy, and uh, had a couple of days there, had uh, Tams Lewis, who we had on the show last week, she came out riding, um, and also the, the Joyce donator, Rachel Joyce, came out with us. And apparently she um, pretty much had a solo road, mate. She killed us all. <laughs> I mean, granted, we were tired. Go work, um, Joycey. But, but even if we were tired, she would have still completely smoked us. Really? Um, so she was really strong. But Tamsin Lewis, uh, Lewis was uh, managed to not have her electri- electronic gear changing charged up. Oh. So she basically did the first small coal that we did and then uh, got lost, and uh, we didn't see her till the end of the day. Um, she smoked us up the first climb as well, so no doubt, had she been there, she would have smoked us for the rest of the ride as well. So those, it was cool having those girls along, um, but at the same time also gave all our egos a little bit of a, a beating. <laughs> Good stuff, chicks. And so then where did you go? Uh, so then Annecy was, uh, we had three days there, and then yesterday we rode back to Lyon, um, went over the Col de Grand Columbier, which was just a brute of a climb. It was very, very difficult. Coming down the other side of that, guys, were, you know, it was so hot that um, guys, their, their rims were getting so hot that they were blowing out inner tubes. We had a couple of guys puncture on the descent because it was just so hot, and it was 19% on um, the descent we came down for, for some pretty long periods on narrow roads, so it was really? pretty uh, air-raising stuff. Yeah, yeah, it was because yeah, <laughs> wow. it was narrow. It was hot. Um, if you got a car coming up the way, it was pretty dodgy. Um, and yeah, a couple of blowouts there. And With then the rollers. Yeah, luckily the guys got them on straights. But um, if you got them on the corners, you know, it would have been, uh, it would not have been pretty. Wow. And as we came down off those climbs, the temperature was just getting hotter and hotter. And as we were rolling into Leon, it was uh, it was 38 degrees centigrade, and it really was not very comfortable at all. Wow. And uh, so we we're all pretty relieved that we we finished in one piece. Um, and it was yeah, it was a it was an epic epic camp. So for you, what was the highlights? Uh, 
it was nice to get fitter as we got through the camp. You know, I just started off getting it, taking an absolute pounding on the climbs and just got a little bit better as we progressed through the camp. You know, the last couple of KOMs, I was sort of third or fourth over them, so I was pleased with that. But Alpe d'Huez, whilst it wasn't the hardest of the climbs, uh, that was a real highlight for me. I felt quite good going up there, and it was just really cool to be doing, a, you know, one of the real classic Alpe d'Huez, uh, classic sort of Tour de France climbs. So. Yeah. It was a highlight. Food was fantastic. We had some wonderful eating as we went through the camp. And, uh, yeah, just the, the famous coals were – it was really cool to tick them off. And the scenery was just just spectacular. So just all around, you know, I think the weather helped a lot. There was We just got absolutely baked every day. But that meant that nobody really got too sick, which is always a bit of an issue on Epic Camp, um, guys getting sick. But in terms of the stats – this, we, we only did, we did, I think we did 1,070 kilometres um, during the camp, but our total elevation gain was over 20,000 metres, which, really? uh, which, which is a lot. We just, we just climbed and climbed and climbed every day. So, yeah, it was really cool and a great bunch of guys as usual. Um, any funny stories? Um, listener Paul May, he did he did exceptionally well on the camp. He was uh, the the slowest athlete on the camp, but he you know got out there every morning, left a little bit early. One morning, you know, on a really big day, um, the, the, the 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 instructions were you just go down the hill and you turn left. And we we all had GPSs on the, on the route, but the GPS was just a little bit funny at the start of that day. He left like forty five to sixty minutes before us. And he basically rode circles at the bottom of the hill trying to find the GPS route. And so by the time we came down the hill, he was still sitting at the bottom of the hill. So he had a bit of suffer fest for the rest of the day. Oh, the uh, so other funny stories? Um, to be honest, I'm just a little bit too tired to think about funny stories. It's, uh, it's a little bit late in the night and we're just, we've just had some big long days and just got absolutely smoked. So I'm sure I'll, I'll write some notes, Ben, and I'll have some good funny stories for you um, for next week. I look forward to it. Hey, uh, Albert sent through, Albert from Coffees of Hawaii sent through, um, he was reading the blogs and someone wrote down John Newsom and they wrote with an E, which I thought you wouldn't be too happy with. Criminal. As the head honcho of the camp and former child star, he's a very patient person. He basically has to go over the daily routine about 50 times and even when people get lost, even with GPS, how far is the climb? How high is the climb? When do we stop? When is dinner? Where are we going? How hot will it be? Etc. Etc. He has this distinct advantage over this camp, however. He basically is making up the competition in points as we go along based on the current score and how he feels on the day, John. Someone wrote that, and Albert didn't say who wrote it, so I'm not, I'm not going to... Just putting it out there. I'll put it out there. It was Zach. I know. <laughs> I know it was, and when people come on Epic Camp, they know the rules. <laughs> yes. And... Uh, and I did have an advantage riding the course in, in some ways, but it was also a disadvantage. I wasn't quite able to swing because we didn't have enough time. We weren't able to have enough swim sets in there, and uh, that was the only advantage I had. And if people read my Aquathon report, I'd really shot myself in the foot setting a, a slightly short swim, and then Klaus bloody ran me down fairly comfortably. So I was a bit bit uh, peeved at that. But uh, Zach, who did write that, he had a, a very strong camp, so... I couldn't skew the any results to get myself in front of him on hardly any occasions. So, so uh, you, you he had a, a good camp. You had a red jersey as well, didn't you? No, we just had the green jersey, and uh, green. Rob Palmer took home the green jersey at the end of the camp um, for being basically just a consistent performer across the board and exemplifying the epic camp spirit. You know, he he was basically you know 
pretty consistently third, say, up, or second, third, or fourth up pretty much every KOM. He didn't have a bad KOM. Uh, he was third in the triathlon. He was fourth in our running race. Uh, and he basically just yeah, didn't have a bad day, whereas we had, it was a very close call between a number of athletes. Some of the others had, you know, slightly bad points, slightly cracking points, um, but Rob was just consistent all around. But that jersey sort of leapfrogged across a number of people's backs through the camp. Um, Andrzej from uh, Poland, he had it one day. Paul May had it one day. Russell Cox, he... Uh, he got on the front on multiple occasions through the camp. So Russell had it on one day for just doing lots of uber pulls. Um, so, yeah, it sort of went from leapfrogged around. But at the end of the day, we gave it to Rob Palmer. He had a, a very strong finish to the camp. How did Melina go? Melina was up and down like a bit of a yo-yo. He was... Uh, <laughs> a yeah, he, he unfortunately injured his calf on the uh, triathlon. He was like a legend. Like when we went to this uh, Ember Man triathlon, Scott was up on the stage. They got him up on the stage. Before the start of the race, they got him to make a speech, and he was he was royalty down there. It was really, really? nice to see. Um, and he, he went pretty hard in the race, uh, but he blew out his calf, which meant for the rest of the camp he was um, unable to run, which, uh, which I know he was really upset about. Um, but on KOMs, he was uh, he and I. He sat on my wheel bloody multiple occasions going up some of the KOMs, and uh, and the one occasion where I was, I was I was game on, I thought right, Melina, I'm going to have you today, and uh, we're coming up the Kailoa Strait. He'd been sitting on my wheel, no joke, for like 15 kilometres. It was baking hot, and uh, and I was already I was waiting, I was waiting, I was waiting, and then I launched like about. 150 metres out, and he didn't contest, so I was pissed. And so I had that one. And then he uh, got the Col de Calibier. He just outlasted me over the top of the Col de Calibier. So we had a couple of good battles, but he wasn't in peak form, but neither was I. So we were we were fairly even on the King of Mounts. So I'll be interested to see who, who came out on top. And uh, you met up with Hautel. I put a photo on the website last week, and you met up with Hautel before the camp. Yep, Hautel helped out, He uh, and he was uh, crowned European yeah. Longest age group champion this weekend. Not only did he win his age group, he won the age group race overall. Uh, but yeah, we went up the coal out of Annecy, the coal to Semnos, which is a 16k climb. Um, consistent percentage. I think we, we you go from about 400 meters up to about 1600 meters, um, and it was just a, a, a rel- fairly relentless climb. A um, little break in the middle, but I'd been sitting in a car. For, I mean, I'm making excuses. He would have crushed me, whatever. If I'd been as fresh as Daisy, he would have crushed me. But I've been sitting in the car for about eight to nine hours that day when I arrived in Annecy. We met up at about 4.30. I was jet-lagged as hell. And then I thought, I've got to go out for a ride with him. And uh, and I wanted to. We went up this hill. And I started out fairly strong, putting on the, you know, the, um, this isn't really hurting me game face. And uh, about halfway up, I knew if I did not slow down, I was going to be I was just going to completely crack, and I just had to slow down to a nice, easy pace and just cruise it up to the top. And uh, and Howtel was just, you know, I don't, I don't think his heart rate broke over a hundred, so he was he was he was fairly comfortable. But uh, he knows that knows that area like the back of his hand. He's he's well traversed in all the mountains down there, and he helped set us up with our day seven route as well. So we'll have he set us up with a bit of a high five, um, which we'll do on sort of things to know about riding in the Alps and I'll certainly be putting in a few tips as well so uh, yeah you did. good to meet up with the listeners oh it's all good times day eh? so uh so you're back when do you get back to Christchurch you're back in win- middle of Wednesday so we've got a you know good good 30 hours of traveling in front of us mm. um 
I'm, I'm going to set some meal records even on the way over. I was doing consistently doing two or three every sitting. Really? So That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, three. Two's I'm, easy, I'm, but three. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to set some records because I'm still pretty hungry from the camp. <laughs> um, do, you want to do, do you want to do some sponsors? No, I'll let you take care of that. But okay. I will say that the Extreme Endurance uh, popped that all the way through the camp and didn't get sore legs at all. You know, um, my issue was not getting sore legs. Wait, we'll just or, make this in here. Tell us about Extreme Endurance on the camp so then I don't have to do that later on. Tell us. So I, was, I was popping three uh, twice a day and, um, you know, did not have any soreness all, all the way through the camp. Really? Didn't actually have a huge amount of fatigue in my – I mean, I did get fatigue in my legs, but um, it was more that I just didn't have the power to get up um, the climbs and sort of be able to sustain things. So the Extreme Endurance worked out very, very well, and they've got some new products coming out that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. And we also had Tams and Lewis, who was, who was on the camp popping in, and Hal Tao is also a regular user of Extreme Endurance and uh, has similar results to the rest of us. So. I suppose the question I have then is, in comparison to other camps, do you think by using the Extreme Endurance it definitely helped? You know, because you've done so many of these camps nowadays. It seemed to. You know, that, that's the thing. I, it's, it's so hard to judge performance gains with, the, with these things but you know the things you can judge is how sore your legs get get and and for me this camp my legs did not get anywhere near as sore as what they would do and that's also granted i didn't run very hard in the race at all i had a, a knee injury when we we're going through that um but i certainly did not get the the doms or the really sore legs going through the camp so you know i don't know it's one thing you can put it down to and it's fairly consistent with, with everybody who seems to take it is is that 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 muscular soreness is, is reduced. So if you want to get it, get on xendurance.com, put in the code IMTALK, uh, and you get yourself a nice discount. And you two can become a legend like John Newsom without a knee, Zach. So it just sort it out, Zach. You knew he had a knee. Zach without a, if you want to annoy Zach, you do Zach without an H. Yeah, Zach H. Oh, well, we Kevin, have we're going to have to wrap it up here. My wife is calling me, and I've got to talk to my lovely kids before I get on this next plane. Okay, well, you talk to your lovely kids, and you see them tomorrow, and, and have a safe trip back, and we'll see you guys back in the studio next week. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Hey, mate, sweet. Catch up later. Sponsor. Okay, so um, what am I talking about right now? I'm going to talk about Coffees of Hawaii, the world's most amazing coffee. And one thing that you may want to do is when you buy your coffee, you may want to know you know, what you're going to do with your coffee and you need to know what kind of grind would actually work for you and if you go to their website, coffeesofhawaii.com, they have a section where you can click on and it can tell you what kind of grind you would want. So for example, they've got for a whole bean, it's best to use a coffee for coffee machines with automatic grinders or for those of you who prefer freshly ground coffee. So if you actually just want to get the bean, you know, if you've got one a grinding machine, that's an option. Or coarse grinders for French presses, um, regular grinders for percolators and vacuum brewers. And then a drip grind is best for electric drip coffee makers and paper filters. And espresso grinders best for manually espresso, espresso, as John always tells me, machines. So... For, if you're unsure of what kind of grind you want to get, first of all, it's probably worth spending a bit of time checking out what gear you have at home or what you're going to buy for your coffee. So, you know, if you know you've got a French press at home, coarse grind will probably be the thing you're going to go for. Whereas if you've got a really great coffee machine, like I've got a friend called Dr. Dave, and Dr. Dave spent like $6,000 on a coffee machine similar to that you get in a, you know, like in a coffee shop, and he's got it in his kitchen at his home. It looks a bit ridiculous, but... 
you know, for him, he probably want to go for the whole beam because his machine would actually grind it up. So, you know, depending on your level of a bit machinery, you actually want to make sure you get the right kind of grind for your coffee. And it's really great because they've got a definition of each and they've also got photos of what the different grinds look like so that when you come to order your coffee, you can make sure you get the correct grind, you know, so then you can be happy with your coffee. So when you're coming into Coffees of Hawaii, remember, make sure you get onto the website, make sure you use the deals. They often have lots of great deals on their front page. So currently they've got recurring delivery for 2011 freshly roasted coffee delivered to your door on a schedule that you choose for a limited time you get a free cappuccino cup and saucer when you sign up for the recurring delivery and your first three deliveries are free now this is really great if you are a big coffee drinker and you know that you're going to go through you know five bags of coffees of hawaii every three months every three months without even thinking about it it will just turn up at your doorstep so it just makes it nice and easy and i've got that little kind of teaser there with you right now so you actually get a cappuccino cup and saucer when you sign up for that deal but you're all also get three free deliveries so it's a bit of a no-brainer team check out coffees of hawaii because they are the world's best coffee company and uh, we know that because we know everything so, so check it out that's coffees of hawaii now i'm going to put on an interview that we did a few weeks ago with a guy called chris and i think his last name is jensen and uh chris is a mind coach basically he's a, a psychologist and he's basically put all his energy into creating mind techniques for triathletes so he's uh, for 20 years chris has been a, an inspiring coach mentor trusted advisor to many athletes and non-athletes as well and he's written this book the eight and a half steps to making 2011 your best triathlon year ever race faster now as another book as well that he's done so he's got some books that you can get on his website but he also does personal coaching and uh has the idea of your best triathlon year ever so his website is triathletemind.com and we did an interview with him about two weeks ago so I'm going to chuck that on right now and you guys can have a listen to Chris. Here it is. Right, on today's show we're going to talk a bit about the mental side of racing. We've got a special guest, Chris Jansen, on, um, direct from the UK. So welcome along to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. So Chris is from, um, he's got a website, Triathlon Mind. Um, Triathlete Mind. Triathletemind.com. <laughs> Thanks, man. And... Uh, I'm the only one who can't read, so I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> it's all Excellent. about you know, working a bit more on your, your inner game because obviously on the show, and we have a lot of guests on talking about training and, and how to maximise your performance through you know better training, better nutrition, etc., etc. Um, and we do talk about race planning a bit, but but one of the things that um, perhaps we don't talk about too much is how. You know, you can work on your, your mental game. You know, we all have times of weakness in races, whether it be when you're feeling crappy on the bike or whether you're you know, getting tired on the run. So, yeah, we're just going to focus a bit on that today. And um, so, Chris, tell us a bit about you know, about your background and, and how you sort of come to specialise in this area. Sure. Well, I've been uh, been a very competitive athlete pretty much my entire life, probably since uh, the first time I, my dad in Canada put some skates on me, uh, playing a lot of team sports, uh, uh, in Canada, where I grew up, and um, it was interesting. I was I was kind of above average in most sports, and I was had to make a decision as to which sport I really wanted to pursue. And and for me, it was at the time it was uh, football, American football. I was a quarterback there in high school and onto university. And and the more and more I studied some top athletes, and I realized that I wanted to be as best as I could be. And I looked for their techniques, their drills that they ran, how they what they did in the in the workout room, uh, lifting weights, etc. And what really struck me was how much they actually talked about the their attitude, their mental approach, and some of the guidance they had on on how to perform. 
And that really got me fascinated in, in the world of peak performance, the world of sports psychology, and the world of really understanding what we can individually do. Even if we are well experienced into the sport or we've been doing something for years, how we can continue to refine and enhance our perspective on what we're doing to really bring out our best abilities. And so I've been, uh, I've been a peak performance coach for a few years now. And as a, as a triathlete as well, I realize that there's not much being said in this sport. As, as you even said uh, earlier there, John, that there's not a lot covered on that. Most of the, the, the uh, materials out there and the instruction out there is based on the, the physical aspects of the sport. And I'm hoping to, to put a little dent in the sport and, and to change that a little bit and provide some really practical advice, really practical strategies and coaching for people to, to really optimize their performance and really get the best out of their abilities regardless of what level they're at. So, yeah, and one of the things you seem to talk about on your website is the, the inner game. And yeah, as a coach, yeah, some people um, seem to think they're, they're mentally stronger than others, and, and, and some certainly appear to be. So, tell us a bit more about what you mean by the, the inner game and whether that's um, something you're either born with or, or something that you can develop a lot more. Um, and we can sort of go into to ways and in how to do that a little bit later. Sure, sure. Well, I think the the reason I use the term inner game and not just mental mental toughness or the mental side of the sport is because it's much more there's much many more moving parts to it than that. It's much more complex than that. But I think specifically for endurance sports, there's a lot of talk about the need or the benefits of being mentally tough. And like you say, a lot of people think they're just you know they they are what they are. They're either born with that extra extra edge to them, or maybe they don't don't have it. But I think the reality is it's, it is broader than that. And I think that the reason I refer to the term inner game is it's really about all the decisions that go on that you have inside your head, the decisions that you make, the perspective you bring to things, how you evaluate the situation, whether that be you know, you're in the middle of a race or in the middle of a training session and you're evaluating, can I push myself a bit harder or do I need to dial back or do, do I need to just quit right now? Um, but the, I think it's, the, it becomes really interesting and where a lot of my, my the athletes that I work with find the greatest benefit is also refining your focus. So your attention is, is being put on things that are most important to you that are going to drive your performance and, and create the results that you want. Um, I think so. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of myths around the mental game. There's a lot of myths around the non-physical aspect of the sport. I think that a lot of people see it as as uh, well, like you say, it's 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 about mental toughness. And one of the first thing I do I do tell people is that one, it's not just about toughness. Toughness is helpful, but there's many more aspects to that, which we'll we'll, we'll talk about a bit more. Um, two is that people think they don't have enough time for it. They don't think that they, with all their busy training, especially if they're in the the longer races, they don't really have enough time to put into the training or to enhance their their mental side or their their inner game. And that, that's really a, a myth as well because it doesn't really take extra time, but you can integrate it into everything that you do. And thirdly is, is another myth is that, uh, that people may not think it's necessary for them because they're not competing at a high level. Maybe it's just for the, the top guys in the ITU or if you're only win, looking to win the race, it's that final edge you're looking for. But my view is that, that everybody can improve their performance and everybody can improve their enjoyment or the, their experience that they get. And everybody is different in their own way. And yes, it is a skill that you can learn. Improving your mental game is, is no different than building bigger biceps, getting stronger on the bike, or getting faster in the pool or on the run. It's a skill that you can develop um, with some specific strategies or, or techniques and with a whole lot of practice. Um, 
So I think that, that a, kind of covers it off. Yeah. That's a that's a key one there. I think I mean um, from a, most of the listeners' point of view, I'd imagine is their bottom line is they want to be whether people are at the front of the pack or in the middle of the pack or the back of the pack. I think people want to be faster, and I don't think anybody, even if they say they're just out there for the fun of it, they'd rather get to the finish line quicker. Um, yeah. So that's that's sort of the bottom line for people. And as you said, it's it's practice makes perfect. So. Give us some um, some some ideas on how people can implement um, improving their sort of inner game into training, and then obviously transferring that across to to racing. Sure. Well, I think one of the things that might put that in, into context uh, in, in a good way is that I often see, both from my own experience in working with athletes, being an athlete myself, but also. Uh, the years of of research and, and lots of uh, books and, and studies that I've read about about the mental part, and most athletes, specifically triathletes, who are always trying to push themselves harder, is there's often two critical mistakes that they they make. One is overreacting to situations, and that might mean you know if you are perhaps you're having an injury or you have some some pain, where you realize that you're not really be, performing at your best that day. Sometimes that the, the decision there is to keep on pushing. Uh, and you may not be sure if you should be pushing on or should be stopping. But people overreact. They, think they panic a little bit and think that uh, this is going to ruin their race a month from now, so they have to keep on training. And when you start overreacting to situations, you really end up making flawed decisions. And the critical mistake in flawed decisions is that your, all, of your, all of your efforts in the past weeks and months can really go down the drain because you end up making more, causing more damage than you, than you had benefit. I think the second mistake that a lot of people make is that they really underapply themselves. They don't believe that they can push their body further or they don't believe that they can maybe win their age group or place higher than they did before or improve their performance from last time. And when you stop believing and you stop applying your own skills, you start to self-sabotage your own performance and you're, you're really not going to make that continuous progress to, as you say, it's ultimately at the end of the day, everyone just wants to go faster. So I think those are the two critical mistakes. I think well, and I looked at that, and, and the way I've, I've kind of addressed the situation and kind of the framework that I work in is what I call the five forces for breakthrough triathlon performance. And there's, I see there's really five forces that affect and that can how you implement and how you work on developing your mental game. Um, the first one is what I call your driving, your guiding force. It really is what you're trying to achieve. It's the target you're going after. It's your goals. It's your, your ambitions. It's your purpose in the sport. But without a really strong purpose for why you're getting up there every morning at 5 a.m. And, and working on it, it can become quite draining. It can become quite uh, tiresome and it can be frustrating at times. But when you're really connected to that, that guiding force, that's really where a lot of the power can, can come from. The second, so, so we do a lot of work with athletes around setting really clear goals, building the discipline of getting clear, not just in your long-term race goals, but on a week-to-week basis and, and even on a day-to-day basis, does, getting clear, clear on the, how that's going to really help them. Yeah. Does that sometimes backfire? I mean, in, in terms of some athletes, when you actually really ask them why they're doing the sport, do, you, do, you sometimes, do sometimes people go, well, yeah, why am I doing the sport or not? <laughs> well, I think there might be an initial reaction like that. I think triathlons are a great sport for a lot of reasons, but I think one of the things is that it's, people don't often naturally fall into it. It usually is a conscious decision that you've gone into it. So there's usually some interest to begin with. Mm-hmm. And most for, us, for most athletes, it's just simply uh, they'll love that challenge. 
and it is a you know it's still a relatively new sport, so it is very challenging for a lot of people. And those obviously the, the longer distances can continue to put a uh, greater challenge on us. But I think initially there might be a bit of ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> Why am I doing this? But what I often find is that when you when you dig a little deeper, people can very quickly come up with some pretty interesting and powerful reasons for themselves that they reconnect with that purpose. You know, maybe it's maybe it's because they never thought they could. And that's a that's a strong purpose. Or people do it for a charity. You know, they have a family member or a friend that's become ill and that suddenly becomes their their big their big guiding force. That so they're they're really trying to create something special for someone who can't participate. So with this you're really trying to help them find their real key motivator, aren't you? You're trying to get them to sit back and figure out where it is all coming from. Well, I think that I think that's an interesting distinction. I think that that is a good segue into the, the second force is about the driving force. And that's what really drives you on a yeah, nice one. Uh, on, on a, uh, what really drives you? And that's, that is your, your motivation. That is your motivation to get up every morning and train or, you know, sometimes as well as squeezing it in at the end of the day after a busy work day. Uh, but it's also about that determination in the moment. It's that driving force that allows you to dig deeper. So when you are tired uh, or frustrated, the day hasn't been going as, you, as well as you have, well as you wanted, uh, you're behind in your race, uh, race targets, you've got a deeper well to go to. So, do a lot of work with identifying what is really driving you. And of course that changes. You know, that changes from an a- within an athlete from, from day to day or from week to week. And so I think by raising the awareness of the athlete, why are they doing what they're doing? Why are they postponing some training sessions? Or why are they wimping out, if, if, for lack of a better term? And that's a lot of, a lot of the, where I find that athletes really respond well to is they get to understand themselves a bit better. So therefore they can make better decisions and, and clearer decisions. Number three is um, it's kind of the, the counter to that constant drive and that kind of that force to drive you forward. It's when things don't go well is how are you going to respond? And I, I term this the calming force. How do you keep your head when adversity shows up? When you get that flat tire or someone knocks your goggles off or you get an injury uh, or you know you're struggling a little bit and you're, t- you're really exhausted so you don't really feel like working out that day. How do you remain calm in a way that will still serve you and support your, your, your overall performance goals. Uh, but it doesn't mean, you know, being calm as in real, really peaceful and relaxed and lying on, lying on the couch with your legs crossed. But it means in that moment, crap happens and how are you going to respond in a way that will make sense and not allow you to let your emotions get the worst of you and end up with a really frustrated decision. Absolutely, which is certainly easier said than done for for most people, let alone endurance athletes, who are tr- who are really trying. You know, that's a great thing about triathlon. Everyone's trying, really pushing themselves. You know, everyone likes a challenge, and no one wants to be that wimp, the one that wimped out. And uh, to to respond rationally, it's it's harder said than done. But through a, through some exercises, through some evaluation, and and through some preparation of um, you know, I've got a very simple exercise I take people through. Just it's a s- simple little form to fill out. It's how are you going to respond when X happens? And when you can think about that, you know, two weeks before your race or a week before your race, when you're calm and relaxed and there's no pressure going on, you can, you're going to come up with a lot better answers than you are when the jerk who just knocked you off your bike is still running up the road. You want to go after him. But that's not going to help you at all. You're going to make some, some silly, silly mistakes through that. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's about being able to strip out the emotion in that moment to make a, a smart, rational decision. Mm. Number four? Number four is the, um, 
is alluded to a bit earlier, and that's uh, really about where are you going to direct your attention? And I call it the attentive force. What are you focused on? How are you going to direct that focus? How do you draw on your self-discipline to focus on what really matters and not get caught up in distractions and to be really focused on those key moments in the race where you really need to make sure that you're, you're paying attention to your technique, that you're really being efficient and you're being your self-discipline as well. So, and it's this attentive force that leads to greater focus and greater focus often leads to better discipline in your training. And what I found, I've just taken people through a, I took 25 athletes through a, a trial of this program, and the biggest response I got was, I'm now much more focused day-to-day and more excited and more believing in the, the goals that I can achieve. And I think that's one thing, that's probably the biggest request I get is around, how do I get more focused? How do I eliminate these distractions that, you know, they can be just silly little things. It can be, it can be just things you can't control, like the weather or... The other competitors and what they're doing at the moment or that crazy, you know, crazy sign or, or that someone's flapping over there in the corner each time you're around the bend. Um, but critically, it's all in the water as well. Critically, it's when there's that thrashing at the start of the race. What do you focus on then when there's, you know, t- 10 or dozen people around you that can really, really distract you from what you need to do to get into that zone? So we do a, little, a lot of work with that on, the, on really how to direct your focus and I don't tell people where to focus, but I help people discover where they should focus or at least identify it in advance so they can practice it in training so it shows up automatically on race day. And the last one, and the last one is, again, probably the, the, the second biggest area that, that people do look for guidance on, and that is around confidence. And it's about, you know, I don't really have either confidence to achieve what I really want to achieve or I've had some setback and I don't have the confidence I can continue going or the pace I want to go. And I actually call this the trusting force. It's that force within us that allows us to, or, or that we can harness to trust that we're doing the right things. I was de- talking to this with, a, with an athlete just the other day, actually. And it's interesting that we all want confidence you know, at any time. But all of us, including the world's greatest, world's greatest in any endeavor, sports, politics, business, whatever it may be, any kind of music performance, will say that sometimes things go wrong and they lose a bit of their confidence. So confidence is very something, something that's very hard to grasp, grasp onto and really cling onto. It's really the outcome that we're after. But when we don't have it and we try to grasp for it, it's really, really hard sometimes. So I, I find that people respond better and get better, um, better results by not focusing on how to get the confidence, but focusing on what can I do to continually strengthen my self-belief? How can I trust myself to do the right things? And then you get much more, I find you get much more grounded in what do I need to do right now to reestablish a bit of that, that self-belief. And that could be just you know, going out for a recovery run, just to get your, your legs underneath you again. It could be better planning, or it could be some lots of other ways that we, we work with athletes on that. So, so, so yeah, so those are, those are the five forces. And I think all five of them play a role. And the analogy of the forces is there. So, you know, you can kind of draw on them when you need them. You don't need to be 100% focused and attentive and driven at all times. And I guess, I don't know, one of the key things that I um, like athletes to do is to commit to these things, that, you know, in terms of race planning and stuff, is actually try to put it down on paper. And yes. make sure that you're doing that in your, your practice races. You know, all this stuff is fantastic, but if you're not practicing it and you just um, pull it together the week before a race, it's going to be of benefit, but not as much benefit. So I think that's a key thing is, um, yeah, practice, like anything, makes perfect. But um, 
I don't know. I find I find if people write it down, they commit to it a bit more. I hundred percent agree with that, John. And it's uh, it's amazing how much something I wish I could articulate it better. But something magical happens when you when you put it down on paper. Um, you know, there's a lot of science behind that. Actually, a lot of research that goes into when you write something down. There's a lot of you know, it uses different parts of your brain. You get more connected to it. But I think also that you can evaluate it a bit more objectively. I always say the mind is the most powerful computer in the world, but it's really crap at organizing. Uh, but when you see it, see it, your, your thoughts on paper, it becomes much. It because suddenly it becomes clear, it becomes more simple, it becomes easier for you to remember. And therefore, you're going to make better decisions uh, that keep you aligned to what you're really after. So, yeah, I highly, highly recommend that, uh, run that, run that for all athletes to write down their goals, write down their plans for the week. Um, and in this day and age, it can be a piece of paper. It could be on your computer. It could be text t- a text to yourself and an alert on your computer uh, calendar. There's lots of different ways to do it. It's just, you know, it's to kind of bring this all around full circle. What kind of strategies do you use with your athletes to actually implement this stuff into their day, their week, their year plan? Well, I think um, if I, I guess I'll answer that two ways. One is um, if I'm working with an athlete one-on-one, and then there's obviously a bit of a getting to know the person as well and understanding how they how they operate, you know, how they what their thinking is, what their what their beliefs are, what their current status is. And it's always working on, you know, where they need to, to, to begin with. So I think one thing is, is keeping it simple. You know, just like, just like any uh, training for the swim, bike, or run, you, you, you can't work on, you know, you can't work on five different uh, technique aspects at once. Uh, you really want to focus and you want to master that element uh, or at least, at least create a positive habit around it. Um, so the first thing is just to simplify and, start, okay, and just admit to yourself or, or decide for yourself, where do I need to begin here? Or what's the highest priority for me? I think the second thing is, is I just alluded to is creating habits around this. So one of the things that I find really, really helpful for the athlete is, is having a bit of a, um, I would almost call it a bit of checking in with yourself before each training session. So once we've decided on uh, on what we need to work on. Maybe it is getting more focus. Let's use that as a simple example. So maybe they find when they're out there on the, on the run or in the water that their mind is just going all over. They're thinking about their stresses of the day or their kids and their family commitments. And they realize in that 60-minute workout, they're probably getting about you know, 40 minutes of actual proper exercise or, or really smart and strong technique. And so I often use um, what I call triggers is get the athlete to identify what would be a good trigger for them to snap their, their mind back in focus. And that can be something as simple as a, as a, as a simple thought, a keyword. It could be sim- something as simple as the word focus. So when they realize, when they suddenly become aware that their thoughts have gone off, they just say to themselves focus and they come right back to center and they're right back aligned to whatever they need to work on in that physical, physical workout. Yeah, maybe it's their technique or their, their power or their, their swim stroke, whatever it may be. Um, so I think triggers are really helpful. Um, so identifying that's going to be unique to the individual. So I'll work with the athlete to, um, you know, we'll, we'll have a little brainstorm. We'll come up with a few ones that really resonates with the athlete to make sure that, that it works. And then, and then around the habits is, is, well, okay, it's great to have a trigger. It's great to have some keyword or some mantra that you can come back to that really brings your focus into, into check. But how are you going to remember to think about that? 
Well, that's where you come to these daily the daily habits, and and that can again can be as simple as, you know, every time maybe it's you have something in writing, you've got a little note in your in your gym kit, or your transition bag, a quick little checklist that you can refer back to yourself. Um, I'm a big advocate of doing whatever it takes. So if you want to put little post-it notes on your car dashboard and on your computer screen or in your mobile phone, whatever it takes to remind yourself of here's what I need to focus on in today's swim session. I've got to focus on my breathing, got to focus on my role. How am I going to do that? I'm going to do it one of, one of these two ways. And you get people to write that down at the start of the week. And I, I get consistently get feedback that those little, those little, um, little additions of writing things down, putting the reminders in place, creating those little triggers to remind myself of what I need to do, uh, makes all the difference in the world. It's it's great to have the great strategies, but it's that gap between the the good strategy and implementing it effectively and consistently that will make all the difference in the world. And then and then the second thing I was going to say is is if I'm not working with one on one on one, if I'm not sorry, if I'm not working with someone one on one but more in a group setting, like through this Five Forces program, um, I have a workbook that, that people can follow along. So they can download the audio and listen to the audio. And then there's a workbook that follows along with each module and it guides them through step by step how they can plan in advance to understand themselves better and to apply their skills uh, at the optimal way. So tell a bit, bit more about um, obviously what you've got off, on offer on your site. You know, there's, um, I see there's some ebooks and stuff like that there on there. So, so tell us how... How it works and how people can start um, making a difference. Sure. Well, I've um, it's a I started Triathlete Mind last summer, triathletemind.com last summer. So still early days of getting a lot of the content out there because it was a bit of a part time thing at the time. But now it, it is my full time uh, focus, and I've just created this uh, this audio program. I'll, I'll be releasing that uh, uh, on the website. It's uh, the five forces for breakthrough triathlon performance. So that's a really holistic audio program. There's five modules to it. You can download the audios and kind of go through at your own pace. And so that really covers off a lot of the core strategies. If you're not ready for all of that or you, you feel like you don't need all of that, um, I've got the, the ebook um, on the website called Race Faster Now. And in that, I really break down the elements of the race and how to optimize your performance from a mental and emotional point of view. Uh, there's over 30 strategies in there. And again, it's not as though you need to memorize all 30 and then try all 30, but it's about identifying, helping you to become aware of your weaknesses, uh, where your weak points are uh, with your perhaps your, your focus or your inner game, and um, finding the tips that work for you and putting them in, into practice in your training in advance. So again, come race day, it's going to be automatic for you. Um, also, people can reach me uh, through individual coaching. I've got a few clients right now. Um, I've worked with Ironman athletes. Uh, I'm currently working with the double Ironman world champion and uh, some average age groupers as well. People who are just really, you know, probably the typical request I get is um, want to improve my performance. I've got all these races coming up, um, thinking I can do it, but I'm also struggling with balancing my life around this as well. And I come from a holistic point of view of, of really how can you have the best triathlon experience, perform at your best, but also a lot of stuff you're going to learn from here, here are uh, tools and strategies that you can take outside of triathlon as well to help you manage your life better and uh, be more successful in all areas of life. Nice. Yeah, sounds really great. What about your racing? Got any races coming up yourself? Well, I've got uh, the big one for me is, uh, is Ironman Cozumel, which is uh, November 27th. 
down in Mexico. So that's my main focus. And I've got a, I've got a, a half iron distance, the v- Vitruvian in the UK uh, next month. So as a bit of a warm up. So going for long distance this year, and then I might dial it back or who knows, I might get the itching and want to go longer. Awesome. Yeah, so, exactly. If guys want to find out more about um, Chris and what he offers, go to triathletemind.com and you can find out all the stuff there. So thanks very much for your time, Chris, and good luck with your racing and developing this uh, triathlete, triathlete mind a bit further. Great. Thanks very much for the time, guys. Really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. And lastly, we have the last sponsor of the day, and the last sponsor of today is athlinks.com. And last week I was on the show, I was talking about how if you go to the website, often on the front page, on the outside of the main content area, they have deals for you that you could try out products. And we talked about the complex system, which is it's a, basically one of those muscle contraction devices that some people can claim can build muscle, but Mac is really kind of promoting the idea that it helps with this recovery. And um, and I, you know, I've never tried it before. I tried it once a long time ago, and it was more just at a fitness convention, so I hadn't really tried it for recovery. But I got an email through from Roger Thompson, and he was saying um, he's been using it, and he uses it quite a bit, and he actually thinks it's really, really good. Um, he loves it, and it's a, it's a device that he uses for his recovery. He thinks it's really amazing. He mainly uses this for recovery, but he also knows a few other people who actually use it as well and are finding that it has a real benefit for their recovery. So if you go to Athlinks, you can check it out, and you get a 10% discount if, or if you use the code Athlinks at, at checkout. So um, it is one of the real benefits of Athlinks. They are building relationships with sports companies that are actually specific to the things we are doing. And you often see, you know, they had SEPO socks not long ago, and they had, you know, the complex system here. And over time, they've had different types of products, Amino Vita and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, check it out because they're building good relationships. One other thing that you do want to do when you get on Athlinks, and they've got this on their front page right now, is get an Athlinks t-shirt. And I love the t-shirts. T-shirts are so cool because often when you get companies t-shirts, let's be honest, they get the cheapest version they can get and they're not very well fitted. And, and we're going to be honest about it, team. As a group of people, we're a pretty fit-looking bunch. And when you're a fit-looking bunch, you can actually wear t-shirts that are a bit more athletic-looking that can you know show the shape of your body a little bit more. And so, um, and the nice thing about the Athlinks t-shirts is they're actually nicely fitted t-shirts. They're not the you know the big kind of like I remember when I did the Hawaii Ironman. And I got my finishes t-shirt and I had like a medium and it was like a tent because they obviously just got the cheapest ones they could get, you know, produced. And um, whereas these athlete ones, actually really nice fitted t-shirts and look really cool on. And the great thing about them is they're stupidly cheap, only $22 for a t-shirt, which is only $2 over my t-shirt policy. I have a $20 t-shirt policy. So I think I'd probably, I'd go for that one. So in the men's colors, they've got the blue and they've got a charcoal and the girls currently, they have a black and blue and sometimes they have a pink as well, but that's currently sold out. So, um, yeah, so if you're on Athlinks, get a few t-shirts as well, and you too could be a no-brainer when it comes to social networking and telling your friends about this great website. So, Athlinks.com, get on it, check out the deals, get on there, tell everyone your race results, and rock and roll. So, just quickly, our sponsors are Coffees of Hawaii for the world's best coffee. Athlinks.com, get the t-shirt, and Extreme Endurance, if it works on Epic Camp, it must work. Well, that's pretty much this week's show. Um, I did get lots of feedback from my talk on black and white rules last week and uh thanks everyone for that feedback it's um it's kind of cool and like to see that you guys enjoyed that if you do want to check out my other podcast it's called fitness behavior you can go to www.bevanjamesisles.com and there's a subscription link onto it there so that way you can kind of get it just in your itunes like you would this show every week or actually i only do it once a month so i've got a new show coming out next week and i actually think it'll be a really good one for athletes to think about it's kind of around 
when your strength becomes your weakness. So interesting stuff coming up ahead. We're going to be back in the studio the next week, so that's kind of cool. I have to admit the sound quality of today's show is probably a bit Mickey Mouse because um, it was all over the place. So from next week, we're back in the studio and we've got our audio technica gear all up, so we're going to be back to the good sound quality and it's going to rock and roll. I don't really have any gossip this week. It snowed last week, so I had a terrible training week for this race I've got coming up in a few weeks, but back out on the road yesterday, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. And then uh, I've got a month of training to go, so it should be all good in the hood. Anyway, team, that's uh, this week's show. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. We know there have been some really good news coming through over the last few weeks with. Uh, the CEO of Iron Man puts him. He's got his own Twitter account right now, and it sounds like, he, you know, they, he's making some shifts that are really, really good for the sport, and you know, just communicating and trying to get our opinion on what they're doing. So, it's a. It seems like it's a bit of a shift in the way they're doing things. So that's really cool as well. So we'll talk about that next week on the show. So anyway, that's this week's show. I'm Russ. I'm in. Don't train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. <laughs>